0: Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul declared that God does not judge by outward appearances. As Christians, oftentimes, we regrettably make the mistake of showing favoritism or honor or reverence to people of high position or influence or wealth. The Bible is clear that Jesus is not impressed with any of these things, Do you have a lifestyle of showing greater respect and interest and honor to those in high position? Let's open our Bible now to Galatians chapter 2 and look at this important principle of not showing favoritism. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another teaching. It is a Wednesday afternoon here in Texas and uh, hopefully you all been loving on Jesus rap, spending time with Jesus, spending time in the word of God, spending time in your Bible, spending time reading your Bible, studying your Bible, meditating on your Bible, chewing on them scriptures, Just, just feeding in the word of God. Spending time in prayer, spending time in fellowship with other believers, spending time in praise and worship and thanksgiving. Um, I mean, there's just nothing in our lives. There is no privilege we have in this life greater than spending time with Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. We're in Galatians 2 now, and uh, today, Lord willing, we'll do verses 1 through 10 um just i mean serious serious stuff here from uh from our spiritual father the apostle paul i mean i mean he's given his testimony and it's an example of us of uh, of our testimony romans 12:11 says stephen that uh that they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony it's always jesus first right becky we always overcome by jesus first Re- uh, revelation 12:11 they overcame by the blood of the lamb so it's Jesus first that, you know, we don't do anything in ourselves, but then it says they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. So as we continue to testify to all that Jesus is doing in our lives, it, help us, it helps us to be overcomers in every aspect of our life. So thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this book of Galatians. Father, I'm so happy That I have this book of Galatians right now, Lord. I mean, I'm just looking down at this chapter, Lord. I'm just, I just thank you that we have this Bible, Lord, that we have meaning and purpose, Lord. I thank you that you gave us the word of God and that we get to have it and read it and study it, Lord. It's just, it's just the greatest privilege, Father. But above all, Father, we thank you for Jesus our only lord and savior and master and king lord jesus we thank you for becoming a human man for us for living a perfect righteous life for us for dying a perfect a perfect righteous death for us we thank you that you are alive and risen today lord jesus and we worship you holy spirit we ask you to open the word of god to our hearts now we ask you to give us eyes that see and ears that hear in jesus name Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, Ian. Galatians 2 verses 1 to 10, the apostle Paul writing, verse 1, 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles but I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. My, 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 thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay, good stuff. So, uh, you know, it was back, I believe, in Galatians 1, I think it was verse, what, 18, that Paul, you know, he's converted, um, you know, and then his life is threatened. Um, And so, you know, he gives us here in, uh, you know, he tells us in verse 17 that, you know, when he, when Jesus revealed himself to him, um, he didn't go up to Jerusalem to, to see those who were apostles before he was. He said, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Verse 18, this is chapter one. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get, to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days, okay? And so, you know, now as we open chapter two, he says, 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. So he's chronicling, right, um, you know, just the timing of his visits and what happened. Again, he's testifying to everything that happened. I'll say it again. Revelation twelve eleven. they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Again, it's always Jesus first, the blood of the Lamb. But we ought to be continually testifying talking about jesus and all that jesus has done in our lives and how he did it do you have a lifestyle of consistently talking about jesus and all that he's doing in your life benny okay are you consistently bringing up jesus susan is jesus consistently on your lips pop and are you testifying to all that he's doing in your life. Not just when you got saved, but today, right? Our testimony is an ongoing thing. We should always be testifying to the goodness and work of Jesus Christ in our lives, right, Scott? So Paul chronicles, and he's giving you the time frame, right? 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, okay? So, I mean, that's a long time between visits, right? This time with Barnabas, uh, scholars say Barnabas, you know, was was probably Paul's best friend. Okay, they were very close. When Paul became a uh, a Christian, remember he had been persecuting and killing Christians, and when he became a Christian, Barnabas stood up for him. Barnabas had his back. Barnabas said, "No, this guy is the real deal." I've been very blessed in my life. Um, to have, you know, um, uh, several men in my life, um, some of the closest brothers in my life, uh, my brother, Tom, father, Rick, there have been, you know, there have been men in my life who have been a, a, Barnabas to me, you know, uh, pop, there are just different people who have been willing to say, no, this guy's the real deal. Now, again, that the reason that has to be said is I, I can, you know, and I have often been regrettably, um you know, I, I can be offensive. I can be, uh, you know, I can be overly assertive, you know, in my zeal, I can come off, um, you you know, rude, even obnoxious. Um, and so, you know, to have genuine brothers and sisters in Christ that have your back and say, you know what? Yeah. You know, the guy's got his own issues. We all do. Um, but he's the real deal. Uh, when you read through the book of acts you see that that Barnabas was was just accepted as an incredible high-level leader in the early church and then when paul you know becomes a christian Barnabas is right there at his side then i believe it's in chapter 11 of acts that you know a new church in antioch has started 3000 christians are there and Barnabas you know, goes to Tarsus to find Paul, right? And he brings him back. And then for the rest of his life, he would spend, you know, he would be in the back seat as the gifts and the calling of the apostle Paul would be worked out. And Paul would write half the New Testament, right? Now, again, Barnabas's call was no less than Paul's. But Barnabas understood his place, right? Barnabas didn't have a problem that Jesus had called Paul to be the main speaker, the main minister, the main teacher, right? We live in a uh, a church culture where there's just so much territorialism. There's just so much jealousy um, that, uh, again, it's absurd. And it's something that all of us, certainly myself included, as church leaders need to earnestly repent of, I'm every single one of us. If you're in church leadership today, you have a problem with being territorial, with being jealous, with looking after yourself and your own ministry and your own church, and so do I, okay? Uh, the reason again, I say it so firmly is because so we, we don't get it, okay? There are times we can be pastors, we can be elders we can be ministry leaders and we think, well, you know, I don't think, yes, you do have that problem. We all have it at different levels. You know, some of us are steeped in territorialism and some of us, you know, have been working on it, you know, but it's, it's still there. It's something I've been talking about for years, but I can still see elements in it of my, in myself. So it's something we want to, we want to work to remember. Okay. That, When we get to heaven, there's not going to be all these little church buildings, okay? Our job as ministers is not primarily to advance the cause of our own church, of our own ministry, but to advance the kingdom of God and the Son of God. That's who we work for, okay? We work for the kingdom of God and the Son of God, but generally as a rule, we spend our time and energy and focus and speaking about our own church or our own ministry and doing all we can to advance the cause of that um and you know we're not focused on on the kingdom of god i remember when you know i first came into ministry and i had a uh, you know and i had a, a man that was sown into my life at the time his name was gerald and we were writing a a, a monthly letter right and in the monthly letter, you know, it was it's all I had known. This was like 12 or 13 years ago. And I had, uh, you know, we were just writing about all that was happening, you know, each month in the ministry. And I remember when he said to me, you know, John, this is all wonderful, but what benefit are all your readers getting, uh, you know, from hearing your exploits and what you're doing in your ministry? I mean, that moved me. And, you know, from that time on, for the last 13 years, I think that was the first one, for the last 13 years, never again did we talk about what our ministry was doing or, you know, or or my exploits or the different, you know, um, you know, all the different things the Lord was doing in my life. You know, now we just do and we've done it for the last 13 years, a monthly exhortation. And it's just a page and a half, two page exhortation teaching from the scriptures on how we need to be living for Christ. Um, you know, and so that had an impact on me, right? We have a tendency to consistently promote, you know, what, uh, you know, what we're doing and how we're doing it when our job needs to just be to, to advance the kingdom of God and the son of God and let Jesus handle the rest, right? Okay, 14 years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas I took Titus along also. Titus was a young convert, a Gentile convert, which means he wasn't Jewish. Barnabas was Jewish. Um, He was a very young man, and he was zealous for Christ, and and Paul was his spiritual father, and he was mentoring him. Verse 2, I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles, but I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain so paul says that that he you know he received a revelation from the lord and he set before them the gospel that i preach before the gentiles okay among the gentiles so what is the gospel that paul preached okay it's the same gospel preached among the gentiles or the jews now paul's going to go on to say that he was primarily sent to Gentiles, non-Jewish people, and the Lord was primarily using people, uh, Peter to Jewish you know, believers, but both of them crossed over. It wasn't like some legalistic line. Peter also would, would speak to Gentiles and Paul would speak to Jews, but primarily the vast majority of Paul's ministry was to non-Jewish people, and primarily the majority of Peter's ministry was to Jewish believers, but again, they would both cross over know there was no rigid line but what is this gospel that i preach among the gentiles every one of us ought to be able to articulate a sound gospel can you articulate the gospel of jesus christ what is the gospel of jesus christ okay so here it is in a minute or two minutes okay the gospel is good news okay gospel actually means good news Now the reason it's good news is because there's bad news, really bad news. The bad news is, is that you and I and all eight billion people alive today are hopelessly and helplessly sinful. We have a nature of sin, we're sinful to our core, and in that place we are hopeless, helpless, and we are, whether we know it or not, desperate. We are headed to hell, okay, if we don't come and receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So we are in a, a very tenuous state. We are fallen, sinful people. We need a Savior. And if we don't receive Christ genuinely, we will spend eternity in hell. That's, that's a really bad place, right? Now, enter in from that place our God, Our God, Jesus, the Son of God, became a human man. On behalf of each and every one of us, even just for you and just for me, Jesus became a human man. And and Paul's going to talk about that in chapter 20, right? I was reading, and Charles Spurgeon made a, I'm sorry, on verse 20, um, where Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself for me. Okay? So Jesus gave himself for you. God the Son. Almighty God. Became a human man. Lived a perfect life for you. Died a perfect torturous death for you. And was raised from the dead. Okay? This is the gospel. Now. Knowing that. Believing that you now actively put your full faith, trust, reliance and confidence in what Jesus did at the cross, okay? John 1:12 says that to all who received him, Jesus, to those that believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, okay? So again, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God as it clearly is stated throughout the New Testament? Okay. It's also throughout the Old Testament in type and shadow and prophecy. Okay. So do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Number one. And number two, is that a trusting and relying belief? To say, I believe that Jesus is the son of God doesn't mean you believe he exists. It doesn't just mean that you believe he came into the world and lived and died and raised from the dead. To believe in Jesus means to have your full confidence in Jesus. It'd be like saying, May, I believe in you. Now, when I say, Corinne, I believe in you, I'm not saying I believe you exist. Of course you exist. When I say, Corinne, I believe in you, I'm saying I believe you can do it. I have full confidence in you. So to believe in Jesus does not only mean to believe he is God, God the Son, the Son of God, and he did become a human man and he did live a perfect life and die on the cross. But it means to have placed your full faith, trust, confidence and reliance in what Jesus did on the cross, dying for your sin, being punished in your place, being judged in your place. OK, so are you trusting and relying on Jesus alone today in the work he did at the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? Okay, I went on a little longer there, but these are the ramifications of the gospel. Okay, God the Son Jesus became a human man on behalf of every human being. He lived a perfect, righteous, obedient life, died a perfect, righteous, obedient death, was raised from the dead. And by believing that and putting your full trust and confidence in Jesus and receiving Him as your Lord and Savior, you'll be forgiven of your sin. You'll come into relationship with the triune God. God the Father will become your heavenly Father. Jesus Christ will become your Lord and Savior and Master and King. God the Holy Spirit will become your guide, your counselor, your comforter. You will avoid an eternity in hell, and you'll ultimately spend eternity in heaven when you die with Jesus. That's the gospel. So I'll ask you today, is that where you are? Are you not only believing that Jesus is the Son of God, but are you actively trusting in Him and relying on Him alone, knowing that you're a hopeless sinner and only hell awaits? Do you have your full confidence, trust, and reliance in Jesus? Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now hear me, we're not saved by our words. Okay, But we do use our words to communicate our heart to Jesus. right? So have you called out to him? Have you in faith run to the foot of the cross and humbled yourself before Jesus? And in desperation asked him to come into your heart and to be the Lord of your life and to save you from your sin and to bring you to heaven when you die? Have you? You're not sure you can just humble yourself right now. You wanna use the words, use the words that I'm gonna use. You're gonna repeat after me. Remember, use these words, but what's important is the genuineness and sincerity of your heart. Obviously that you mean it, but just simply humble yourself and just pray, Lord Jesus, I I know that I'm a sinner, Lord. I confess that I'm a sinful person. Lord Jesus, I know that without you, I am hopeless and helpless and desperate, Lord. I can do nothing to save myself. But Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. And I believe you did come into this world and lived a perfect righteous life for me, even me. And I believe that you died a perfect, righteous, torturous death for me. And Lord Jesus, I believe you are alive and risen today. And therefore I ask you now, Lord Jesus, to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith and hope and trust and confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Amen and amen. That's how you become a Christian. Now again, you know, you just don't just puppet those words. Use the words. But again, it's it's the humility and the genuineness and sincerity of your heart, knowing your desperate need of Christ as a hell-bound sinner and running to him as your only Savior. If you're not sure, again, stop the tape, back it up, and give your life to Jesus today. This is the gospel that Paul preached among the Jews and the Gentiles. So, you know, when he says that he went to the Gentiles, again, this was a new thing that that You know, that growing up and everything, you know, people believed you had to become a Jew, you know, and and you'll come under Jewish heritage and Jewish traditions and Jewish laws to be saved. We were never saved by that. We were always saved by Jesus Christ. Before the cross, you looked forward to the coming Messiah and were saved. After the cross, we look back to the Messiah, the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus, that has come and are saved. So when Paul says... I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that i preach among the gentiles this is the gospel he preached he goes on to say but i did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that i was running or had run my race in vain now what is he saying here okay paul is not insecure about what he's saying paul is certain about the gospel that he's preaching but paul paul went in privately to the leaders he didn't come in guns blazing, so to speak. I've already said that I've, you know, I have made, uh, you know, I've made my share of mistakes in my life as a Christian believer in just being, you know, kind of guns blazing sometimes. And don't get me wrong, there is a time for that, right? There is a time to be bold and assertive and forceful, but there's also a time to be to use discernment. Okay, so when Paul said that I did this privately, so Paul went in low key. He explained what he did and the gospel he was preaching and how he was preaching it. Right, that way, if if some people didn't understand some of it, it wasn't going to cause this massive turmoil and undo some of the you know some of the work that the Lord was doing. So when he says, "But I did this privately to those who seem to be leaders." for fear that i was running or had run my race in vain again he did not want to to cause a problem he wasn't going to compromise the gospel because if you look what he says in verse 3 yet not even titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a greek so again paul was fully confident in the gospel he preached but again you know he had fear that you know that when he came in And laid down this gospel and said it has nothing to do with being Jewish. It has nothing to do with following the law of Moses. It has nothing to do with being circumcised. Again, you know, he didn't want to stir up a problem and, you know, get in the way of really what the Lord is doing. So again, it's a discerning thing. His fear was not about the gospel he was preaching, his fear, you know, was that when he shared it, that it could cause, you know, a problem, okay? Um, but we're going to see it, it didn't cause a problem, okay? They agreed with it, okay? We're going to see that the pillars Peter, James, and John. I mean, they were they were like rock stars, right? They were, you know, uh, Peter was like was known as the leader of the early church. People were hearing testimonies that that you know, and you can see it in the Book of Acts that they were uh, they were laying sick people. And when Peter passed by, and even if his shadow touched him, people were getting healed. It was incredible, right? So, but I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. Okay. So again, Titus was not a Jew. He was a Greek. He was a Gentile. Remember, there's only two groups of people in the scripture, Jewish people And non-Jewish people, and those of us who are non-Jewish like myself, are Gentiles, okay? Jews and Gentiles are the only two groups of people in the Scriptures. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek, okay? So no, Titus did not get circumcision, and Paul's going to explain now why. This matter arose because, verse 4, because some false brothers who had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves this matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in christ jesus and to make us slaves verse 5 we did not give into them for a moment we did not give into them for a moment paul said so that the truth so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you okay so this is what was happening um false brothers were coming in they were claiming to be Christians, but they were they were Jewish Christians who were saying that we need to believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus, but we also need to keep all the laws and traditions of our Jewish heritage. We need to remain under the law of Moses. We need to continue to eat a kosher diet. We need to continue to, you know, obviously abstain from foods that are not you know, kosher. We need to follow all the Jewish laws. And we need to be circumcised. And when they, when they said this, they were effectively adding to the cross. They were saying, you need to believe in Jesus. But you know what? Jesus is not enough. You know, they had a pride about them. Okay. The Jewish people were the, the chosen people of God. And you can still see this throughout the world, right? They were the chosen people. And now, you know, Paul's coming in and preaching that everyone stands equal. Everyone is equally sinful and everyone in the world needs a savior and your savior is only Christ. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. There's no work you can do to save yourself. All the good you do, or I do, will never take away our bad. Good doesn't take away bad, it never has, okay? You and I can live the most righteous life possible, but if we go out and murder somebody, OK, in the state of Texas, all the good we did our whole lives wouldn't absolve us of that murder. OK, and in the state of Texas, the judge wouldn't say, well, man, since all you did all that good, you can go on. No. None of that good would take away the murder and we'd either spend life in prison or be executed because good doesn't take away bad. Does that make sense? If you blow through a red light on the way home. And the officer pulls you over. You can't say, but officer, I didn't run the last 200 red lights. What would he say? He'd say, that's wonderful. But all the good you did in stopping at those 200 red lights wouldn't take away the fact that you didn't stop at this one. And you'd have to pay the ticket and pay your penalty to society for running this red light because good doesn't take away bad. There's nothing we can add to the cross of Christ, Peyton. It's not Jesus and my good life. It's not Jesus and my circumcision, right? Circumcision is obviously where, you know, uh, the Jews were demanding that adult males, you know, uh, have their penis circumcised, right? Have the foreskin cut away because that in the old Testament was a sign that God gave to Abraham, right? The first Jew, so to speak, right? The first one of this new nation called father Abraham, um, And the Jews would zealously hold on to that. And so these false teachers were coming in and saying, you know, Jesus is amazing. Jesus is good. But Jesus is not enough. And Paul would have such a zeal. Paul Paul would near be out of his mind to protect the purity of the gospel. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. They were saying Unless you're circumcised, unless you keep the law of Moses, unless you keep all the, the kosher diet rules, you cannot be saved. And Paul vehemently stood for the truth. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have, Christ Jesus, and to make us slaves. We are free in Christ. We're free. We're not under any laws. We're not under any traditions. We're not under any of the Old Testament regulations, right? They were wanting to make the people slaves to the law again when the law is given to us to show how sinful we are, it was never given to save us. But that's for the next teaching. Verse five, we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. The gospel is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The forgiveness of our sin, the salvation of our soul, and going to heaven is completely, totally, and only based on what Christ has done on the cross, on our behalf, and in our place, and our receiving him, and trusting in him, and relying on him. There's nothing we can do to add to that. Not one thing. Anything we do will spoil it. I've said this many times. If you took the best five minutes I lived in my life, the most righteous things I ever did and added them all up, they would send me right to hell. We need a savior. All eight billion people in the world need Jesus today, or only hell awaits. That's the clear teaching of the Bible. Jesus, out of his own mouth in John 14, 6, said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They're his own words. Verse 6. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Those men added nothing to my message. This is, this is heavy now. Peter, James, and John, right? Look where he says here in verse 9. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, okay? The great leaders of the church, and these are incredibly solid men. Peter and John were actually apostles of Jesus. James, who's the leader of the early church, uh, was Jesus's half brother, right? They were both born of Mary, but James's father was Joseph. Jesus's father was God, the Holy Spirit, right? Um, You know, it was God, the Holy Spirit who made Mary pregnant with Jesus, right? But Jesus had brothers and sisters and James, you know, grew up with Jesus, but he was the son of Mary and Joseph while Jesus is the son of of Mary and God, right? Mary obviously being his earthly mother, but made pregnant by God, the Holy Spirit, right? But Paul says, as for those who seem to be important, again, um, the big time leaders, right? Um, And and this spirit is in the church today, okay? Sometimes, you know, as, as pastors, and as when you start, you know, when you get a lot of notoriety, or if you have a mega church, or you're on the radio, or you're on TV, You know, there can be like this rock star status, okay? And that's what Peter, James, and John had. Paul said, as for those who seem to be important, whatever they were, makes no difference to me. You ought not be awed by any minister, okay? You ought not be awed by any man or any woman in in any way. Your idol is Jesus Christ. Now listen, it's good to have mentors and spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers to emulate but whatever they are, Paul said, makes no difference to me, okay? Those men added nothing to my message. So the message that Paul received from Jesus, he didn't get any help from it. Peter, James, and John didn't enlighten him from it, right? They, they didn't enlighten him. They didn't help him. Um, it, they, didn't, they didn't give him any more insight. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. Again, this is a massive problem in the church today. God does not judge by external appearance. God does not judge by position, right? Um, you know, you can be, again, the mega pastor of the church. You can be the Pope, okay? Who is the, you know, the leader of a billion Catholics. Jesus is not impressed, Okay. As for those who seem to be important, again, in ministry today, when we get titles as pastor or elder or teacher or bishop, or there are people walking around with titles of apostle, which certainly Peter, James, and John had, Paul said, made no difference to me at all. You ought not be at all impressed with titles. Now, again, we ought not be overtly disrespectful. Okay. And I have been guilty of that. and Lord willing, I'm getting a little more discerning, but believe me men or women and their titles ought to mean almost nothing to you it doesn't mean you're not courteous it doesn't mean you're not honoring but you certainly don't show any any certain reverence honor or respect because someone has a title now if they're properly bringing the word of god they're zealous for the son of god and they have a heart for you in the kingdom of god then certainly you should honor them and respect them but as for those who seem to be important okay it's something we want to check in our own lives. Okay. Whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. You see that? God does not judge. God, the Father, God, the Son, Jesus, and God, the Holy Spirit have no concern for for your appearance, your position. Now hear me. If we do have a position as a ministry leader, a pastor, or an elder, a bishop, a priest, We're going to be more accountable to the Lord for that position, but he's certainly not impressed with it, nor does he look down and say, wow, this guy's a pastor or an elder. That would be dualism, right, Gerald? All right. Those men added nothing to my message. Verse seven, on the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. Verse eight, for God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. Verse nine, James, Peter and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews, okay? So um, Paul comes in, you know he's coming into Jerusalem he hasn't been there for 14 years he is is preaching a gospel with more power with more understanding than any of them okay no one understood the gospel like this man no one preached the gospel like this man paul paul wrote half the new testament okay he wrote 13 books of the new testament there are 27 books in the new testament paul wrote 13 of them okay um Again, the gifts that Paul was given to teach and preach and understand in the revelation were far more than anyone else, than anyone who's ever lived, right? Um, obviously, Jesus is God, so you know he's not you know in the same category as a servant, right? We all serve jesus um, and he says that Peter, James, and John, on the contrary, they saw that I had been trusted with the task of preaching the gospel of the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. We already talked about that. Paul primarily preached to non-Jewish people, although sometimes he did preach to Jewish people, always the same gospel. Um, And sometimes, you know, Peter would preach to Gentiles as he did in Acts 10 to Cornelius, but primarily he would preach to Jewish believers. That's how the Lord had set it up. And Paul says this. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews, entrusted by Jesus. In Acts 9, Paul is knocked off his horse, literally, to the ground, blinded, and Jesus himself reveals himself to Paul, rebukes him, and calls him into ministry, and immediately Paul begins to serve Jesus and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 8, for God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter, is an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. So we can see here, you know, the call of God on their lives, right? We can see that that we do want to discern the calling of God on our lives, right? And there are, there are those who, who help us do that. Um, it, again, it's discerning the call of God on your life is, is something that takes work. It's something that takes effort. And again, there are men and women gifted in the body of Christ, um, you know, who are gifted at that. The man, Gerald, I spoke of earlier, he still does that very well. Um, well, it's his lane. He doesn't do it very well. It's exceptional, right? It's, it's his calling to help men and women discern the call of God in their lives. Um, verse 9, James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, okay? Did you hear that? Reputed to be pillars, pillars of the church, right? Again, they were like rock stars. They were revered and we're going to see in the second half of Galatians 2 just just how revered and how much influence you know Peter really does have and that these guys have James, Peter and John those reputed to be pillars gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me now here here again is a sign of immense maturity in James Peter and John Right now, you'll notice there is an order Paul puts here. Why does he write James, Peter, and John? Um, James is the leader of the early church. James never do we see him walking in the power of Peter, right? Nor even John, right? Um, but you know, uh, you know, sometimes you know, Paul himself in Acts fifteen, no one has the revelation of Paul. No one could preach like Paul. No one could teach like Paul. No one had the gifts of Paul. Yet sometimes the greatest preacher or the greatest minister, God hasn't called to be the leader, right? I have people in my life. I have relationships in my life. Although I've been gifted, Lord willing to teach the word of God and articulate the word of God. I have people who speak into my life who don't do this in the same way. They're not able to do it with the same gifting, right? They don't have the same gifting to teach the word of God, but it doesn't mean that they don't have, you know, access to my life and authority in my life, okay? Now again, authority always, always flows along the lines of relationship. The The, the bottom line authority in your and my life is the word of God and the son of God, but we ought to consistently be in relationships, deep relationships with, with godly men and godly women, right? Who, you know, who who, who we have a, an accountability to and who can speak into our lives. And even though we may be ministers and even though we may be gifted at teaching the word of God and preaching, doesn't mean we don't need these people. So you notice he says James, Peter and John. Now, Peter was the rock star, right? James, again, did not have it, hardly any of the gifts of Peter. Yet James is elevated to this top leadership position. And again, Oftentimes in the church, there are men with wisdom, with humility, with understanding, and they may not be the best preachers, but yet they're called to, the, the, to, to, to levels, high levels of leadership in the church. No one's there's there's no there's nothing in the Bible that says that the guy who's doing all the preaching and who's doing the teaching needs to be the highest level leader in a church. Okay, it doesn't say that. Okay, oftentimes, very often. There are times when there are men that are more gifted in understanding the administrative aspects of church leadership, but they're not gifted in teaching the Word of God. So again, there ought, we ought to have more, quote, teaching pastors, preaching pastors. And if they're gifted as well in church leadership, that's fine. But they shouldn't have to go hand in hand. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, when they recognize the grace given to me. This is a huge issue in the church today is that we're often unwilling to give people the right hand of fellowship. We we we're we're reticent to commission them. We're reticent, you know, we hold back in just giving them our blessing. And and again it's 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 a territorialism. It's it's an immaturity, okay? So hear me today. You don't need any church pastor any elder, any deacon, any church leader to commission you, okay? There are two equal problems in commissioning. There can be man-centered commissioning or there can be self-commissioning and they're both wrong. If you're a Christian today, Jesus Christ has commissioned you to go out and share the gospel and teach the word of God, okay? And to stand on the word of God. Now, if you believe you're called the full-time ministry, there ought to be men and women in your life that affirm that call of God on your life, right? You ought to be in relationship with godly men and women who agree with you on that call, right? Um, But it says they gave them the right hand of fellowship. I don't know if you know what this is, but I do this all the time. So if if you extend your arm, right, and those on YouTube can see it. And you know you just you you just take your right hand and you grasp the other person's forearm with your hand, okay, so you go up about six inches on their arm, right, and you just and you and you and you grab hold of their arm, okay, and that's the right hand of fellowship, so each you extend your right hand and instead of shaking the hand, you go up into the middle of the forearm and you just grasp the forearm, both right handed, both persons using their right hand. That's the right hand of fellowship. Okay. And it says that they recognized when they recognized the grace given to me. Again, sometimes when we're in church leadership, we're so looking and so territorial about our own ministries, we don't have eyes to see the grace given others. Okay. One of the true marks of a spiritual father or mother is they're always looking to see the grace God has given others. I've been blessed in my life. Um, from the time I got saved, my first spiritual father, uh, father Rick, you know, he's still, you know, it, you know, he still speaks into my life today. And, and, you know, he commissioned me from the beginning. Right. But he'll be the first to say that Jesus commissioned me. Right. Um, but you know, we ought to have these people in our lives. You are, and if you don't have men and women in your lives and you believed you're called to more work in Christ then go find some others. Okay. Now, again, If you have godly men and women, and they're sowing their life and time into your lives, you do want to be humble, and you do want to listen, right? Um, But it says that that this that James, Peter, and John gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. Okay, do you recognize the grace given to other people? Okay, and do other people recognize the grace given to you? okay? Um, It's something we really need to work on. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. Verse 10, all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Paul said he was eager to remember the poor. So again, they recognized the grace given to Paul, the reputed pillars. Paul came in, Paul articulated the gospel, right? They could see the grace of God on it. They saw when he taught the word of God, they could see the grace on it. It spoke for itself, right? And so again, we want to be on the lookout, okay, for for the gifts that Jesus has given in the body of Christ. Now again, they may be gifts of preaching and teaching, but often they're gifts of administration, right? They're gifts of mercy, they're gifts of love, they're gifts of generosity, right? Um, there There are all kinds of different gifts that the Lord gives his people. But when we see those, okay, we want to give the right hand of fellowship, okay? You know, we have, you know, so many things, right? By the way, James, Peter, and John, the one who approved of Paul, They had no formal education, okay? The only education they had was their fishing license, okay? That was their education, okay? They had their fishing license, okay? They didn't go to seminary, okay? Now, again, going to seminary is fine. It's a good thing, okay? But, and they are approving Paul who had more education than anyone, more understanding than anyone, more teaching in the Bible than anyone. He had more intellect than anyone. He was smarter than everybody. He had more gifts than everybody. Yet here it is, you find the fishermen, the laymen, right? Them them as the leaders of the church approving Paul here, okay? So again, um it's, you know, sometimes we just get so caught up into doctor this and doctor that. And again, I don't want to take away any of that. You know, going to seminary is a good thing. Having a doctorate's a good thing. But again, we're not caught up in these titles. Paul had all the titles and more. Okay. The, the education that Paul would have had would have been the finest the world had to offer. And he would have been its finest student. Okay. He said So you you see my point there, okay? Sometimes, you know, we may be commissioned by people. We may be exhorted by people. Sometimes the Lord may have something for us with people that have less status than us, okay? We tend to always look for big status and big titles, okay? Um, These men were raised up by Jesus, and again, they were fishermen, okay? Okay? all they asked they agreed that paul was called by god to teach the word of god it was plain it was obvious right all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor the very thing i was eager to do do you have a heart for those less fortunate than you do you have a heart to be giving to those less fortunate to you do you have a heart for the poor Paul was eager to remember the poor. It's probable here that Peter, James, and John were wanting Paul to have the Gentile Christians who were more well-off to remember the, the terrible poverty and persecution that was going on in Jerusalem. But the point is, do you have a heart for the poor? Do you have a heart to serve Jesus by helping those less fortunate than you? The vast majority of us in the West right, and in almost all of Asia Right, are far, are are living such incredible lives, but there are people all over the world. I work closely with India and in Africa and people that just, it's incomprehensible how much different it is there than it is here. Do you have a heart for the poor, not only overseas, but here? Do you have a heart for the people in your life who are less fortunate than you? All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Well, Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your favor. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you again for calling this man, the Apostle Paul. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for this book of Galatians, Lord, and leading the Apostle Paul to write this book, Lord. We thank you that we we have your word. Father, I do ask you to, to help us and forgive us when we're territorial as church leaders, Lord. Help us, Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see the grace you've given to people, and help us to look outside the box when necessary. I ask you to forgive us, Lord, when uh, you know when when we when we have reverence for those who seem to be important. Lord, help us to to be balanced, Lord, and to not be impressed with titles, but at the same time to be respectful and honoring where it's, where it's important. Father, help us to remember that you don't judge by external appearance. Again, help us not to be awed by external appearance, Lord. And Father, I do ask you to help us to share and articulate and speak a sound, non-compromising gospel. It's Jesus or hell. Father, help us to do that in love. Help us to speak the truth in love. Lord Jesus, we worship you and thank you today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal the message to our hearts. We ask that you would give us eyes that see Jesus and ears that hear him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.